One other quick announcement. Uh, I went to men's retreat and didn't get lost, uh, and I'm still here. Okay, so anyway. Um, everybody else is getting clapping. I just th- thought I, w- I just needed some affirmation before we started. Well, this morning we're going to be uh, looking at a, mess, a passage in James, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at James chapter 4, uh, get to that passage, uh, because it's not in your, n- your notes this morning, but we'll be particularly looking at not a lengthy passage, just three verses, three powerful verses that really speak into our lives. I've entitled the message, Surprised by God, and I was just thinking about that first word, surprise, and, and just interaction with people, uh, some people like surprises and some people don't like surprises. How many people here like surprises? How many people don't like surprises? How many people don't like to answer questions in church? All right. So, yeah, some people like surprises, some people don't like surprises. Now, particularly if you could somehow make sure the surprises were all good, then uh, you might be more open to something happening that you weren't expecting. I was uh, hearing a conversation between a young father and and his daughter, and um, she had been coming to church and getting to understand kind of spiritual things for, uh, for a while, and she asked her father for a Bible, but she had very specific requests as it relates to the kind of Bible she wanted. She says, I want, I want a Bible like mom's. And the, the father kind of picked up pretty quick, said, well, why do you want a Bible like mom's? Don't you want a Bible like dad's? And she says, no, 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 I, I want a Bible like mom's. And he said, well, why do you want a Bible like mom's? And he says, well, mom reads it all the time, so it must be much more interesting than the Bible you have. <laughs> Now, that, that's the kind of surprise you don't want to have. You don't want to ask a question you're not sure what the answer is going to be. And, and as you think about it, things happen that you're not quite expecting to happen. Uh, we had a great men's retreat, and we'll be sharing probably a little bit more about that, maybe some in video forums, things like that. But one of the things we did is that uh, we got kind of, uh, we, we kind of got involved in a volleyball tournament. And, and, and you know me, I, I really don't care about winning at all. It's just about... You know, participating. So, as uh, we, we kind of formed a team, and I'm thinking, you know, our young guys didn't quite get up there, and I'm and I'm looking at the competition, and I'm thinking, we're not going to get out of the first round. There is absolutely no way. But you know, I'll, I'll play. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I just want to let you know, I was surprised in a good way at men's retreat. We actually got out of the first round. We actually won the volleyball tournament. I'm really impressed. I'm really excited about that. But we had a good time at men's retreat. Uh, interaction, uh, praying with each other great speaker, and we were a challenge spiritually, and, and that's what, really what it's all about. But, but you go to places like that, and you, 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 there's some things happen that you don't expect. They had advertised a particular speaker, and why we got up there, they announced that uh, he couldn't speak, and they had a substitute. And so we were surprised by, by who was delivering the message. So, so things happen, and you're not necessarily expecting them to happen. But as we look at it this morning, I want you to realize that there's some things about, about God that sometimes we assume to be true, and they're not necessarily true. And, and there's some things that we have that we ex- expect about our relationship with God, and we have these deep-seated expectations because uh, you, we're, we're trying to follow God, and that's a good thing, and, and yet things happen that, that we're not quite expecting. And, and so this morning, as, as I was uh, getting us back to the series in which some entitled the book of James, the James, the book in which God is in your face, which so speaks about the service we just had yesterday with, with Tom Green. And for those of you who knew him, uh, he, he, was, he, was a, he was a man who liked to get in your face. He, he, liked to, he, he liked to impose his will and his mind upon you, whether it be in a, the political arena or some other subject. 
But he was also, if you knew him well, he was also a man that you need at times to get in his face as well. And he actually, he actually encouraged that. Because he didn't want to, he wanted to go down a path that he just assumed to be the right path. He, he wanted to know what the path was. And then, and then he wanted to be left with the challenge, well, which, which course direction am I going to choose to take? Well, this morning, as I've been praying about this particular message, I, I just want to, I want to announce to you that this passage, as much as any other passage, is one of those passages in which there are, there are two, two direct attacks and, or approaches to anyone who is here. If you were to somehow summarize the kind of people who come on a, on a sunny morning, there are people who, who come from a week and an experience of, of just being down. They're just, they're overwhelmed by life. They're just, they're just feeling that I just, I need a word of hope. And, and God's word and God himself is, is one who comes alongside those who need him. And some have put it this way, he, he comes alongside to comfort those who feel afflicted. But he also realized that there are, there are a group of people that, that need to hear his voice, and it can be a setting like this, or it could be a, in a small group or a one-on-one encounter in, in which uh, that person doesn't need to be comforted. That, that person needs to be challenged. And so, some have easily said this, or quickly said this, that really the God's Word will, will do one of two things. It will either comfort the afflicted or afflict the comfortable. And I don't know where each one of you are this morning, but it, it's going to hit you one of two ways. And, and sometimes we're surprised by our own life. We, we think we're doing okay, and yet and then God's Word just hits us like a hammer. And, and all of a sudden we realize, oh, that's me. And other times we, we feel like we have nothing to give God, and then all of a sudden God lifts us up and says, look, you're my child, and, and I'm here for you. So in, in either arena for you this morning, this, this is my prayer for you and for me, that we hear from God. Let's pray one more time. Father, we pray that we may have open hearts this morning. And we pray that in the midst of what you want to say to us, that we might be those who have ears to hear, and eyes to see what is true for us this day. And we pray it's in Christ's name. Amen. James has just talked to the, the church and was in their face about, you know, <laughs> why are you struggling? You want to know why you're struggling? Because you're not consulting God. You, the reason you have not is because you ask not. And then when you do ask, you need to realize that often you ask for the wrong things with the wrong motives. And really all you're concerned about is your own personal desires, the things that you want rather than what God wants. And then he takes that theme and he takes it a step further. He now begins to call them names. You remember in grade school, that was one of the things you could really get somebody. You could start call them a name. You could say something about them. They just they hated to hear to be used as a descriptive term of how you saw them or how other people saw them. Well, the Bible and even Jesus, and we won't go all the times in the Gospels where he did that, where, where he would speak so plainly into people's lives. And in the context of James, he's speaking to the church. And looking at James 4, verse 4, this is what he calls them. You adulteresses. Now, it's in the feminine form, and I was wondering, why didn't he call them you adulterers, okay? 
But he's speaking to the bride of Christ, so I, I think he used that as, a, as speaking the gender. But, but really he was speaking to both men and women in the church, and he said, if I were to describe you, I would describe you as those who are committing adultery. Now, I hope you get the idea. This first point is really about those this morning who are a little bit too comfortable in their walk with God. And really, if I were to redo this, I'd probably diagram the outline a little bit differently. But I wanted to keep it simple. I threw a few cross-references in here. But really, I have three things to say to all of us this morning. We're going to look at what is true about God in terms of what He has, who He is, and then what He does. And what he has is right here in this first passage where he says he has some people that are identifying themselves as Christ followers. And he says, as I look at how you're following me, you're following me like an adulterer. Now, what is an adulterer? An adulterer who has, is a person who is in relationship. And as, you, as you describe it around marriage, it's in a covenant relationship. It is in a relationship in which, in which vows have been made. And now one party, if, and it could be both parties actually in the relationship, they have chosen to be unfaithful in that relationship. Now in this particular case, he's not talking about physical or sexual infidelity. He's talking about emotional and spiritual infidelity. This one who we've as Christ followers, have come into a covenant, which is a promise agreement, to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. He, he said, that's where you began with me. But now if I were to describe you honestly, you, you are walking like you've got another lover in your life. You have someone that you love more than me. And we all know that the, the, when Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment in all the Bible? He said, you are to love the Lord your God with uh, what? all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And he said, if, I, if I'm looking at your life, that's not you. And, and, and as he speaks into it, I'm sure all of a sudden their, their lives are now rocked. And, and if we're honest, we're like the disciples who encountered Jesus at the upper room in, in which he said, you know, there's one of you who's going to betray me. And every one of them asks what? Is it, is it me? In one sense, when we kind of passage like this, we have to ask ourselves, is it me that is now acting like an adulterer where someone or something is more important to me than my relationship with God? That's just mind-boggling, isn't it? You are adulteresses. And in case that word image does not ring true with them, and let me just say, you can be a... A, uh, a fornicator, which is a person who has uh, uh, many lovers outside of having a covenant relationship with a person. So he's not talking to people outside here. He's not, he's not haranguing at the community around us. He's, he's talking to the people in the church here. And he said, look, at you. we're in relationship and you're acting like we're not in relationship. And Jesus... When he was here, he would often speak his strongest terms, not to the irreligious, but to the what? To the religious. To the people who looked good on the outside, but on the inside, they were so far from him. But then he goes on in this text in, in James chapter 4, verse 4, and he says, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So, so, so now he speaks, okay, let me put it, if, if, if not into the most intimate relationship that is defined here on earth, a husband and wife, let's just talk about friendship. If the marriage relationship, and if any of you are aware of some of the Greek words that we're more familiar with in the Bible, that's that agape relationship with God. Let's just talk about being friends. And it's not the word agape here, it's the word phileo. And really God wants us not only to love him, but also to what? Like him, right? And don't you want that in a partnership? You want, you want to love the person you're, you're committed to volitionally, but also you want to like him or like her. And he says, you know, if you look at your life right now, you're better friends with the world than the one who created the world. What you're interested in is your own personal pleasures with the things you want to do, the things you like, the thing that is important to you because of, of how this world has now conformed or, or shaped you into what they value or it values, its interests. And all of a sudden you start using language, this is what I need. Really, that's just simply what you want. And it just rattles their cage. And if friendship with the world, and the Bible talks about in 1 John 2, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And in your outline this morning, I just, I just, I just threw how, how much the world is something that we need to realize is not our friend. In John 3, 19, it says this, And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. See, there's darkness in this world. And when the light shines in it, sometimes we don't want to go to the light because we so love the things we're caught up into. John 15, 18, 19 says this, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And there are many voices in this system that we exist in that will say, why are you doing even what you're doing today? Why are you wasting an hour to listen to someone so... So limited as the person you're listening to right now. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do on the weekend. And why would you want to devote the rest of your week to this one you can't see? You know, it's, it's all about what you can get out of life, not what you can give in life. And sometimes we, 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 get, we get somehow caught up and think, well, God created this world, so he must be ruling this world. That's, that's not what's happening. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Who's the God of this, this world? The enemy. Now, he's under God's sovereign limitations. But the evil one runs that which people so get enamored by. 1 John 5.19 says the same idea. We know that we are of God, and the whole world, the whole world, lies in the power of the evil one. So, so if anyone in this, on this planet needs to be counterculture, it ought to be Christians. That, that, that we live in such a way that is diametrically opposed to how other people live. 
that we care about other people more than we care about ourselves. That, that we see the needs of others before we uh, attack the needs that we feel that we have. But the text goes on. He says, Therefore, who, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an what? enemy of God. Now, this is the simple fill in the blank. And we could have put so many different words in here. But what does God have? He has enemies. The word enemy, it's not a familiar word, you know, from, for people who've been around, you know, Bible preachers who use certain words like agape or phileo. You know, we have the word Philadelphia, the city of love, city of light, really. It's the word ekthros, which, which is simply you're, you're, you're being like an outsider with God. It doesn't mean you don't know God, but, but it's like you're living like an outsider. Or in the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul was talking to people, you know, I wanted to talk to you like as to spiritual people, but you're, you're just of the flesh. You're walking like of the flesh. You're walking like mere people. You, you've been made new creatures in Christ, but I don't see anything different between you and the people who, who say they don't know Christ or love Christ. You're doing the exact same things they're doing. Now, he's, he's not talking about Christians struggling. We all struggle. But what's the direction of our life? Is he more than anyone and anything else the top of our agenda? And we want to please him. And when we know what God wants us to do, it's not a matter of how busy my schedule is, because if that's more important, it takes first place. And when I want to fall into the selfishness, I realize that that I need to follow the one who is selfless. Jesus came not to be served, but to what? To serve. And to give his life a ransom of many. So, so I, get, I guess the hard-hitting thing for any of us this morning is, how would you describe yourself at this moment? Are, are, are you really on the outside with God right now? And, and the Bible talks Pretty plainly, you're acting like an adulteress or adulterer with him. You're acting not like you're his friend, but you're really his what? His enemy. These are the strong words of the half-brother of Jesus who looked at the church. He said, you're acting like you don't know him. And I'm trying to wake you up. We need to examine ourselves to see whether we really know him. And then are we willing to live for him? And it's so easy to, <laughs> to fall into one of two camps, isn't it? Remember, remember Peter? And, and Peter, uh, Jesus asked a great question. Who do men say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And he gets the right answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, that's so awesome. God delivered that to you. And, and then he, he went from proclaiming the truth about God to kind of tell God what to do. And we never do that, do we? do we? Do we ever try to counsel God? Telling God what we want and then getting his approval for it. And so he, he's trying to prevent Jesus, you know, from going to the cross. And he said, get behind me, who? Satan. Now, it, it did not mean that Peter did not know 
Jesus. But at that moment, he was, he was acting like an enemy of God, opposing what God wanted him to do in his life. You know, the Lord's Prayer is pretty, it's pretty poetic. We, we will often, you know, say it in different settings. But if you just get the simplicity of the power of the words, thy kingdom come, thy what? Will be done. That, that's, that's the essential passion of a friend of God. In your Bible study this week, you'll look at that in, in, in John chapter 15 where, where Jesus said, I, I don't call you slaves anymore, I call you friends because you do what I tell you to do. You do what I command you. So this morning, I just want to ask yourself, well, right now, are you, are you living like an, a friend of God or an enemy of God? You know, and, and we're going to be surprised about things that happen in life. You know, I, I could have told you all kinds of surprises this, this past week. You know, we, were, we had some new people sign up for camp, and, and uh, Susan and Roy have been in our church for about a, uh, you know, member for about a year, and, and Roy has signed up for camp. He's so excited about going to the men's retreat, and then all of a sudden I got word for the end of the week that he wasn't going to be able to go because there was, there was a test they wanted to make in his heart. And it seemed like just a, a, a minor thing. I mean, it was an important thing to get done, but they wanted to make sure he was well. Well, he took the test, and then all of a sudden he found out that that he had 70% blockage in one of his arteries and 90% blockage in the other artery. And, and obviously he could not go up to the retreat, and they had to do a five-bypass surgery this Thursday. This was not something he was expecting. He was surprised by this. Now, the good news is, is that he's doing really, really well. I saw him, yet, saw him I guess, Friday, and I, you know, I, I didn't even think he went through the surgery. I mean, he looks so good. You know, things are going to happen that you're not expecting, but that doesn't mean God still isn't on the throne. But the issue is, is not whether good things or bad things happen in your life, is where's your heart? And who are you following? So one thing, what does God have? He has enemies. And sometimes those enemies are within the camp that aren't living for him. And ultimately, the enemies of God are those who never come to know him. But then, who is God? Just who is this God? And most of us, when we say, who is God? And the Bible says it very plainly. Who is God? God is love. First John says that very plainly. The Gospel of John says that very plainly. God is love. But if that's all you think of who God is, you've, you, you've misunderstood who God is. Verse 5. Or do you not think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? In other words, does God have a plan in what He reveals to us? Is there something going on here that He wants us to understand? Of course He does. And then He says this, He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. That's a complicated verse, and if you have different translations, it will say a variety of different things. And you need to understand this about the Greek New Testament. There isn't capitalization, you know, in the, in the words, in the text. And so when we apply a capital letter to some, something or someone, that's an interpretation of the text. And some interpret this text with the spirit being the small s, which he jealously desires our human spirit. Some people say it's our human spirit that is jealous. I, I think that the, the emphasis here in the context is he's speaking about God. And who is God? He is a jealous God. And the scripture announces that in so many different ways in the Bible. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5. 
It's in your, in your outline. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the water, on the, or under the earth. And that, that commandment is found in the top what? Top ten, right? Remember the Ten Commandments? Raise your hand like you've ever heard of the Ten Commandments, all right? That's in the top ten. And if you didn't know that, then there's some remedial reading I want you to go through. Okay, in Exodus chapter 20, we'll give you all of it right there. That, the top command, he said, I, this is pretty important, right? The top ten, you should not make your own image of who God is. I mean, we, we don't reduce God to how we see God. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, my God wouldn't, be, wouldn't do that. Or my God wouldn't, you know, uh, respond in that way. Well, let me tell you, you don't have your own God. There, God is God, and we, we respond to who He is, not how we think He is. We don't make God into our image. He makes God, in, God makes us into His image. And He said, don't reduce me to some picture in your mind of what you think He is. But then He goes on and says this, You shall not worship them, these gods that you make, or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a what? Jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. He says, because of my jealousy, there's consequences for people not pursuing me because I pursue what's best for them. And when they don't, when they don't pursue me who pursues what's best for them, there's consequences. But, but look at Exodus 34, 14. And the whole passage, I only put part of the verse there or part of the section there. For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is what? Jealous. Is a jealous God. <laughs> I mean, if you want to play games with people sometimes, well, who, who do you believe God is? Well, I believe God is Jesus. Well, you know, well, if somebody else asks the question, well, who do you believe God is? God is jealous. In fact, that's his name. He's the jealous God. Now, most of the times when we use the word jealousy, we, we use it in a negative light, right? You know, the person is, is jealous after that which, the, which they're trying to control and, and they're, being, um, they're being that person who's trying to somehow take a person's life and, and direct it beyond their right to direct. You know, I'm jealous. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. But jealousy can also be used in a, in a positive light. That, that, you, that you so are emotionally and volitionally uh, desirous of what is best for somebody. You know, I, you know, I, am, I am jealous for my wife's affection. You know, I, I don't want her to, to long after anybody else that, than me. And my wife's jealous for my affections. She doesn't want me to long after anybody else but her. For my kids, my four kids. And I told you I've got another grandchild. Okay, so now I can say it twice as much as I used to say. Okay, I am jealous that each one of them walk with God. That's my greatest desire. I don't want anything else for them to be above that. And, and those two little lives in Mark and Lori's home, I'm jealous that they, they, they know God, they know Jesus, and they follow after him. And, and, and God is jealous for us that we do what is best. 
Zechariah 8.2 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am jealous for her. God wants what is best for us. And I'm glad not only he's a God of love, but he's a God of jealousy. Because he wants what's best for me. And he wants what's best for you. Now that's, that's God, in a sense, afflicting us who might be a little comfortable in our relationship with God. But let's look at the good news this morning. Let's look at the good surprise. Right after he hammers him, he gives us verse 6, which is a memory verse for the month. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. And just, just to let you know, here's a variety of ways, that different. You know, before we get to verse 6, that uh, various translations of the New Testament uh, translate this text. In the ESV it says this, God yearns over the plight of our human spirits. The New King James Version says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us yearns jealously. The Living Bible says this, and it's paraphrased. The Holy Spirit, who, whom God has placed within us, watches over us with tender jealousy. Uh, in the footnote of the NIV, who translates it in its text a little bit differently, but it says this. This is another rendering of this text in James 4, uh, 4 verse 5. The Spirit he, uh, he caused to live in us longs with jealousy. He asks, he desires deeply what is best. And you might be saying, well, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by this. I, I, I'm hopeless. There's no way I can, I, you know, I feel like I, I'm, I'm more an enemy with God. I'm a friendship with, I'm a, have friendship with the world more than I have friendship with God. I have a tendency to follow after other things. Well, what, what, what hope is there for me? And then comes verse 6. Because what God has, he has enemies, and sometimes we are those enemies. And then God uh, is jealous, and, and sometimes we, we know he's jealous for us, and we're running from him rather than running to him. But what does God do? Look at verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the good news is, is that whatever things are cluttering up your life right now that's not quite pleasing to God, God says, look at my grace, my favor, my sustaining strength, my, my ability to direct you to the right path is right in front of you. And no matter how great an obstacle it is, as you look at it, for you to walk as a fully devoted follower of me, my grace is sufficient. It, it, it can propel you to be the person God wants to be. Not, not on an easy path, but sufficiently to get from point A to point B in what God wants you to be and to do. And, and really the only thing that's holding that back is your will. Am I willing to, to operate on the, the grace that is greater than anything I'm encountering? Because His grace is sufficient. John Piper likes to put it, you know, God has a past grace in which we can be saved. He has a present grace in which we deal with the things we have today. But He has a future grace, which no matter what we will face, God is able to, to get us through. And not only get us through, but to be the people God wants us to be. 
But there's a qualification there. But, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, and, and this is out of Proverbs, and it says the same thing in 1 Peter 5. It says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, the, the word opposed is a pretty strong word. It's a, it's, it's a military term. It really means he is in full army array. Say, I am, I am antagonistic to those who are proud. And then he, this word proud is an interesting word. It's a very simple word. It simply means a person who, who it, it, it's a compound Greek word. It says above manifest, which means somehow you think that you're better than somebody else. And at that point, sometimes we even think that with God. I, I don't really need God. I can handle it on my own. And, and we're above his, his need for his touch in our life. And, and it says that God is opposed to that. And this is throughout the scripture where, where, where God cannot help a person who doesn't think they need what? Help. It's not God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who know they desperately need his help. It's interesting as I was reading this through the Psalms, I read through the Psalms as well as our PT with God and some other places. There's a passage in, in Psalm, I think it's 41 or 42, and it says, 41 I believe it is, and it says, God helps those who reach out to help those who are helpless. Which not only, not only does God help those who see their need for help, but God helps those who is helping those who need his help. And, and that's why the Christian life primarily is not self-centered. God, I, I need help today. It's also, God, I need help today so I can help somebody else who needs help. So we, we always leave this place saying, God, what's the agenda for me today? And i got to throw something in for free about life groups. And just relationships with the body of Christ. Sometimes we say, well, I don't need to be in a life group. Or I don't need to be in a relationship, in a personal relationship with other Christians. You know, what you miss there, even if you think you don't need help from other Christians, guess what? God has, has drafted you to be the source of help for them. And let me tell you... You know, I'm in three groups for whatever reason. And, and I receive help every single time being in that group. But, but also, I can be a source of help to others as well. And so if you think you don't need help, then receive God's help so you can be help to others. Every time you're not with other people, you're, you're not being there is missing a source, subtracting a source of encouragement and help for other people. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, I think we already, I think Bill was saying in the announcement, you know, it's grace hill. But, but, you know, so we got to give ourselves some grace. And we got to give grace to other people. We, you know, whether we got too much food in our mouth, we're trying to kind of carry on a conversation, you know, give people some space, you know. This is a word that's almost untranslatable. It means so much. We, we think of it in terms of at the point of salvation, it's God's undeserved favor. We don't deserve to have a relationship with God, but because of his great loving kindness and grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. But it's also a word in which it, it really describes God's strength. For when I'm weak, then I am what? Strong because God's grace is sufficient. It's God lifting us up when we're really down. It's God shining his spotlight in our life when we say there's some things in your life that need to change. It's God's ability to say, even though I don't want to do it, I know you know what's best. 
And I'll, and I'll take that step that I just definitely don't want to take. But because your grace is enough, and we sang that this morning, I'll do what you want me to do. You know, this morning I, I put a few references, and with this we'll close. This passage in John 1 just speaks of Jesus. It says, For of his fullness we have all received, this is talking about Jesus, and grace upon grace. If you want to see how grace is lived out, just look at Jesus. And then when we feel overwhelmed because of our, of our sin and all the things we've done are wrong, you need to understand this. And the law came in that right in the transgression. And the law came in that that transgression, transgression might increase, which simply the main idea there is we really know we fall short when we look at God's standards. So it, it allowed us to see how far, we, how far we fall short. But then it says this, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So w- when you look at your life and say, look, I've, I failed so many times, why should I try? Look, this is what God's grace is for. Because we all fall short. We all mess up. None of us are any closer to God based on our own abilities. It's not like, okay, God's rating us because of how many times we have not fallen or how many times we have fallen. God's grace abounds. And it's, it allows us to be, in God's eyes, as clean and as white as snow, even whiter than snow. And, and, and God gives us that ability. God gives us that that position before him, even when we've done so many things wrong, he, his grace abounds. And, and then in Hebrews 4, 16, the invitation, let us therefore, all of us, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Which really speaks to us really graphically this morning. What is it that you need God's help for this week? What is it that you need God's strength for this week? Where do you, in a fresh way, need to experience God's forgiveness because of his grace? Where do you need God, because of his grace, his his sufficiency to to make a course direction? Where where do you need to, to experience God's grace so you just won't give up? Where, where do you need God's grace where you'll, you'll just be able to understand that, that, that it's, really, it's really the source of what true joy and abundance is all about because God is in control and when, you, when you're walking with him, it's, it's what's best. Not only always what's easy, but what's best. Where in your life do you need to wrestle with your own values because you're now conforming to the world? Where, where do you need to maybe get God's grace where you're not listening to the voices that are pointing you in the wrong direction? Where, where is it that you need God's touch at your point of need? And to recognize that, that at the throne of grace, grace is abundant and abounding, fully sufficient to meet you at your needs so that you can meet the needs of others. How are you being, being surprised by God this morning? Where is it that maybe you're saying that there's some place in my life where I'm, I'm acting like his enemy? And maybe this morning you've come and you've never known him. 
And here's the good news. You can know him today. Where in your life have you reduced God to, to your own image of him? And, and all you want to think about is love, but, but God is jealous for you. And you're surprised by that. And, and maybe just this last point, maybe, maybe you're surprised that God is sufficient. And no matter what you're facing, you feel overwhelmed by, God's grace will get you through. Let's pray. Father, we just ask, as we have just wrestled with these just simple three verses, how it speaks to where we all live. And, and Father, you, you want us to be a, a grace-filled people, relying upon your strength and upon your help and your direction and your guidance. And it all begins when we encounter you in a personal way. The Bible says, for by grace we can be saved by faith. Not based on works that we would then be boastful or proud. But it's simply receiving the gift that's offered by Jesus so that we can know you and then continue to live for you. As we continue to worship you through our giving, through our singing, might each of us turn to you, not turn away from you, and receive the help that we all desperately need so then we can be a help to others. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.